Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. This transmission's coming to you. My name's Joshua Michael. This is my best friend Colin. What's up? How is everybody? How are you MFers doing this week? I wish people could answer us. That would be cool. I know. Have like three or 15 or 272 people just be like, hey, all at the same time or something. Uh, or like better, even better, like my one of my favorite Simpsons gags when uh, the beer baron was looking over the city. He's like, you're out there, beer baron. And I'm going to, I'm going to find you. And you hear Homer really far away. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will. No, you won't. <laughs> yeah, good to talk to you, man. Uh, yeah. Something happened at Comic-Con. What the hell happened there in Tulsa? Oh, yeah, it was Wizard World Comic-Con this weekend. And I was pretty excited. Um, I, I'd been hearing, I'd been seeing advertisements for it for a while. You constantly open up Facebook and you're inundated with, hey, Jason Momoa is going to be there. See Aquaman himself or Ivan Drago or whatever his character is on Game of Thrones. Uh, And, um, you know, or Stargate. I guess he was in Stargate or something. And, uh, you know, hey, this person, Jewel Stady is going to be there. Love her. One of the most beautiful people I can think of. Um, And whatever else. And then I remember thinking, I'm really excited about this because... Sam J. Jones, Flash freaking Gordon is going to be there. And so is Melody Anderson, who is uh, who played Dale Arden in the Flash movie from 1980 that uh, I am an enormous, enormous fan of. And no, I'm not an enormous fan because I thought it was so cute and Ted and Ted to to incorporate them. I was glad to see Sam Jones in action again. But um, it's it's important to mention that because that's that's a fucking thing and that's bullshit. It really is a thing. But honestly, it kind of put the sh- put that movie back in the public eye to an entire generation of people who weren't even aware of it. I mean, I watched it when I was a little kid. It was on HBO when I was little, when I was four. And um, I would I would run to my room and put on an orange Pistol Pete tank top. When that movie was on, because I wanted to look like Flash, I was really into it. And um, pistol, uh, yeah, just so the Flash uh, went to OSU, or what am I missing? Here? No, no, I just it was because he was wearing an orange and black, uh, or like a rust red and black, uh, you know, tank. Yeah, or I figured Flash uni. would have better chase and taste in universities. Yeah, yeah, gross. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was just what it was, and uh, I was, I was, I, I'd always been super into it, and I kind of forgot about it in my teens. And then one day, I was living with a bunch of people in college, and we went and rented it and watched it, and had a huge time. It was all new to all new to me, and it was weird because I was so into the Queen album and everything, right? And I've just been a huge fan for years and years, and uh, it stayed that way. Then a couple of years ago, I went to Texas Pinball Festival. A, because I love pinball. My friend Sean got me turned on to that. And then uh, B, because that year Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon, was going to be there signing. And that meant that there were going to be multiple uh, multiple uh, iterations of the Flash Gordon pinball game, which is notoriously, maybe infamously difficult to play. And uh, you just can't find one in awesome shape that hasn't been reconditioned. So I got to play it for the first time, and it was beautiful. Played, like, five different copies of it. And, is that your uh, holy grail? Is that your holy grail of pinball machines? 
No, actually, Star Trek: The Next Generation, the second most beloved pinball machine in all all of pinball, is uh, is my holy grail. A good a good working one, maybe that I could put LEDs in instead of incandescent bulbs and clean up the, the glass. You know, whatever. When you uh, get when you get that, I'll get my Adams family. Oh, dude, you can get an Adams family. That is a highly rated beloved game. Also, mm-hmm. uh, we've got good taste. Yeah, that's a good game, man. Um, it, it, and what we're talking about in those cases are play value and in-game special games and uh, sound effects and just the overall look of the play field and stuff like that. There's a lot to think about when you're playing pinball. Um, so, uh, But Flash Gordon is a gorgeous game, and think about it. If you've seen that movie, the golds, the reds, the design, the uh, that epic appearance anyway blah 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 there's so much to like about the look and style of what happened in, what happened in tulsa today dude so i thought okay you know i don't have any of my cool flash gordon stuff here in tulsa it's all at my mom's house right now i wouldn't have anything to get signed but so this weekend i watched after work one night i watched a documentary about flash gordon and sam J. jones and we can get into that in a little bit after we've talked about some other stuff. Right. But I was very excited about the possibility of maybe getting a copy of it from him and having him sign it. And uh, then I also was really over the moon because uh, Jim Ross, or, uh, yeah, Jim Ross is going to be there. And, uh, and I'm not sooner, super, baby. huh? Yeah, yeah. I'll say it. I'll say it with you on that one, Boomer. Sooner. That was so weak. No. That was so weak. That was a sexy sooner. Oh come on, man. If you you don't you don't you don't woo Ric Flair sooner. There, thank you. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm enthused about the whole thing, and I'm thinking to myself, I went to Texas Pinball Festival. I met him. I got him to sign some stuff for me, and I got a picture of me taken with him, and it's a really nice photo. And uh, so I got up this morning, and I I uh, went to Walgreens and I printed off that photo and I thought I'll have him sign this photo and then I'll put it up here behind me with my pictures of Joshua and I and Joshua and Stan Lee and I and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I go and I'm like astonished. The parking lot was absolutely full and there were food trucks and there were all these costumed people outside. And I was like, man, I know what that, I mean, it's, it's a comic con. Of course people were really excited. And I thought to myself, yeah, no, I was really happy. I was like, they are making Mad Bank every day of this, aren't they? I hope so. And I had to, I had to park behind the hotel and walk all the way around. And uh, I get inside, and I'm like, there are just so many people. And go through security, talk to some nice Tulsa police officers, no big deal. Uh, and I go to the thing, and I'm like, hey, I haven't been here yet. Oh, talk to this guy. So I go over there, and he's like, yeah, 65 bucks. And I'm like, wait, what? $65? Yeah, Den- yeah $65. Denver, Denver wasn't that expensive. And I'm, Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it was 35 and he was like, no, that was on Friday. And I'm like, it costs $65 for today. There's three and a half hours left of today, and it's $65? And he's like, yeah. And I'm looking at this guy, and there's no, no diss on him, but all I could think of is, where does this guy with an eyebrow piercing that is missing the little ball get off telling me with this kind of attitude, though? Just let me an asshole. And I was just like, 
No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Thanks. You know, I, I, I want to meet Melody Anderson. I want to meet uh, Jim Ross, but he actually was only able to be there for Saturday, so he wasn't there. This is a Sunday. And uh, I was like, I'll take my, uh, my already existing good memories and go home and uh, get my computer, and then I'm going to go find some place to write all afternoon. So I didn't go in, man. I didn't do it. And um, No fucking way would I pay that much for any fucking Comic-Con. Any Comic-Con. We paid, mean, a, been to San Diego we paid $100. We paid $100 to meet Stanley. Yeah. I cannot believe that after what everyone is charging inside, yeah. that just the door is $65. And then that's, that's like you're going to bring your kids. And you're going to drag your wife or your girlfriend along who either cares or doesn't care. Uh, you know, all of that stuff. And I know there's lots and lots of ladies that like going to this thing. But it's just one of these things where I'm like, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, so I didn't do it. And I, like I said, I, I got back to my place. And before I got there, I was sitting in a parking lot. And I pulled up that YouTube video of Shia LaBeouf yelling at you, at me, about, just do it! You're going to make your dreams not be dreams anymore. It was awesome. And I was like, I'm galvanized to get some freaking work done. So I grabbed my computer. I got out of there. I got to, because uh, I can't write at home. I will never, I'll never get there. There's too much internet, too many distractions, too many dishes to clean or laundry to fold or some dumb thing. I've got to get out of the house. And I left and I found a ritzy, a ritzy Starbucks in an upscale part of town. I sat there. I had my Americano, and I just cranked out, like, four or five pages in an hour and a half. And nice. And I was exhausted. And uh, I got out of there, and I came home and started watching a Civil War documentary. I was like, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with that being my day instead of $65 and uh, one of the guys I want to meet not being there and then me accidentally spending a bunch of money on a hoodie I'll never wear or whatever the fuck I was going to do. So, yeah, you know. Fuck it. I, I mean, it just... I there are to... cons going on all the time, and they're not charging $65 for one partial day. Was that? Was it even a con? I mean, like, was it a comic con, or was it just a pop culture fuck It's thing? a pop culture phenomenon. It's There aren't any comic cons anymore. I mean, like, legitimately, you used to go to a comic book convention. Yeah. Or you would go to a Star Trek convention, and I remember back in... Uh, my teens thinking about going to the Tulsa Trek Expo hosted by Starbase 21, a no longer existing uh, retail store, and thinking, oh my god, I'm going to get picked on. Somebody's going to find, i got to be really, i got to keep it under the radar that this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, you didn't want anybody to know. I remember the shame <laughs> I felt buying a lightsaber at Walmart in 1995. And, like, running into a girl from high school who picked on me every now and again. And the reason why she did that because she was, she was one of the popular jockey girls. Uh-huh. And she had a thing for me. She totally but, wanted to fuck you, just about to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was, she was not, never saw, never saw not secure her at, with a, it. at a reunion. No, you know what? I'm not entirely sure she was straight, actually. And that's, I'm not dissing her at all. I just had a weird... I just was mortified that I ran into her when I was buying a, a lightsaber. And then I was like, you know what? I got to get over this. Because if I'm going to walk around in a Darth Vader costume as a, as a 17, 18-year-old uh, for Halloween, then I got I to gotta live with the... I got I to gotta 
live with my decisions. All right. Uh, well, but Jill, I, if you're out there, I'd make out with you. All right, carry on. I had the complete opposite of your day on Friday night. <laughs> mm-hmm. On a Friday, you had a fan experience to rival all. Friday morning. Actually, Thursday night, I see Y2J, Chris Jericho, my hero, is posting that he's in Denver. I'm like, fuck, I forgot he's going to be here in the Springs. And he's like, I'll be in the Springs tomorrow. And I'm like, shit. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to worry about it. Wake up in the morning, it's all I can worry about and think about. <laughs> should, should I go? I don't want to go. I know there's going to be a bunch of my wrestler friends there. And I was just worried, like, I, do I meet one of my heroes? Like, the hero? <laughs> and... I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I look it up, tickets are like fucking dirt cheap, dude. They're like twenty eight dollars. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> they're at one of the better venues here in the spring, Sunshine, and um my homegirl Melissa at work, I uh, was like, Hey, do you wanna go to a concert with me? Like just randomly. She's like Who's playing? I'm like, Fozzie and she's like, No shit and she's like Yeah, yeah I do. She had to think about it for a bit. And she's like, yeah, just uh, send me the link to get my ticket. And I was like, okay, cool, because I'm, you know, I flat out told her, uh, you're not fucking me, so you're buying your own ticket. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But she she knows I'm just, like, I can get rude and crude with her like that. She knows I'm just, like, it's it's from my heart. And uh, if she just said no, I wouldn't have gone. And yeah. I was worried about it. I'm like, man, I got to meet him. I got to have him sign my my vest that has all my wrestling patches and how am I going to make this happen? And I've been living off kismet lately, just not worrying about it. And I'm like, no, I can't force it. Can't force it. Don't worry about it. You know, I used to be journalists. Well, I'm still a journalist, but like, you know, press pass, you know, that sort of thing. I, I just walk in and own the joint, but now it's different when mm-hmm. you're just running your own thing and decided not to worry about it. And we go in and there's maybe 120 people there. Barely. If, if I can count people correctly. And it's this wonderful, wonderful area. You can go outside and smoke. You can take your drinks outside. They have food trucks outside. My homeboy Randy and Sammy were there. And um, I, I expected the place to be filled with, like, AW shirts. No. The only person that had wow. anything AW on was me that had the AW patch on his vest. And I had the Bullet Club giant patch on my back. There was three people there with Bullet Club shirts on. And that was it. Not even a WWE shirt. I didn't see one WWE shirt. And uh, we see the first band. They're pretty cool. I actually buy their CDs. It was like two for 20. We met the guy signing. They actually pretty rocked. And um, we thought the next band was going to come on. And they start playing Ozzy. I'm like, it's not a good sign when their intro song is Ozzy. And then all of a sudden Chris Jericho comes out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they used to be the... Uh, they used to be, um, the reason they're called Fozzy, they were already, already established band, like a cover band when he joined. It was like Fozzy Osborne oh. or something like that. Like, And then they just started going by Fozzy. And okay, that's what they do. He comes out just fucking decked out, looking great. And he's got such a killer outfit on. He switched jackets like four or five times. Um, we're on the side of the stage, and uh, my buddies were, like, lost in the crowd, and I was hanging out with Melissa because I wanted to make sure that she was comfortable. But the, that was one of the great parts about going to the show. She wasn't a drinker. She wasn't like, I'm cold. I'm hot. It's too loud. Um, like, sh- that happens. <laughs> she was just the perfect accomplice to fun. And this dude taps her on the shoulder and says, follow me. And I'm like, oh, shit, are we getting kicked out? And I follow her. And they take us to the side stage behind the curtain. And I'm like... 
And she's like, what are we doing here? And I'm like, you're a hot chick. You got picked side stage. And she's like, whatever. And uh, they bring in a few more people. Uh, they brought like 15 people in. And I'm like, oh, my God, I call you. I'm like, I'm side stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just happy that I'm getting to see in such a clear view. And then like the song ends and they usher us like go ahead and on stage. And the next song starts. And I'm walking on stage and the people coming up like kind of bombard me. I'm bigger than them. And then. Uh, I'm walking on the stage and he steps backwards into me. I fall back. I'm like reaching for something to grab on and I grab his leg like an idiot. <laughs> and he looks at me and I see, and I know what he's thinking. Like, get your shit together, junior. I can see it. And he's like, and like, I'm like, shit, I'm going to get kicked <laughs> off. I'm going to get kicked off stage. I haven't even been drinking. This is bullshit. I'm worried. And finally I'm realizing, Oh, they want us to rock out. And like, everyone's like jumping up and down. I'm like, Jumping up and down is fucking gay. <laughs> like, no. And then I realize, I remember, I've got fucking long hair past my fucking, like, d- like down to my middle of my chest. I'm supposed to be headbanging. Those are nipples. <laughs> yeah. No, way past that. I'm supposed to be headbanging. So I just start headbanging. And I look into the crowd before I do, and my buddies are like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I just start headbanging and, like, trying to make sure I'm not running it. Because you're, when you're going full force, you got to... Luckily, I did it so consistently that the the guitarists and the bassist like played around me, and I'd look up for a second and take a, like a breather and like you know give some horns and go back into it and and but uh, then the song ended and I walk off stage like like all right get your ass off stage <laughs> and there was an air conditioner by the side of the stage and I just got near it and just put my face up to it and this this bouncer like you okay and I'm like dude I'm not drunk. I'm just fucking overwhelmed. Like, that guy's my <laughs> hero. Like, and he's like, you are right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm glad you had fun, man. And Oh, that's nice. And then I go outside. Uh, Melissa and I go outside, and I'm like, I need a cigarette. Like, and <laughs> and uh, she's like, you are right? And I was like, that was better than the first time I got to finger a chick. <laughs> <laughs> and I called you, and it was just like, I, was, I, I started waiting because I wanted to sign my vest, and I was like, no, can't do, can't violate kismet. Like, I'll be greedy. Oh, it, yeah. it, it'd be greedy. And she's like, okay, let's go. I, I understand. And then, then I realized I've, instead of getting the signature of Jericho, I have the sweat of Jericho on my vest. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, uh, I Get thought... A little were, bit of the bubbly. A little, little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> I thought they were going to suck because I've always hated his songs. I thought Fozzie was going to suck. No, dude. They played like a thousand and... Like 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 it was a sold out. Like a million people were there. They had great gimmicks. They played an AC, one ACDC cover every single song. They played like it was the end of their life, and it meant something. And it was such a phenomenal show. Every single song was great. Um, I'd never heard their song "Drinking with Jesus." I've been listening to it all day long. It's awesome. <laughs> and um, yeah, that what was would Jesus drink. Uh, <laughs> I fucking know. I'm confused. I'm so thinking about that fucking night. I. I was I got pulled on stage at a Fozzie show. It was it was amazing and goddamn, <sighs> dude! You were sending me. You sent me. A, you Facetimed me while you were when you got there, and you were like, "Hey, look! Here I am in front of the van, the tour bus." And then you Facetimed me again inside, and then you definitely you sent me a video while they were playing, and that was rad. Was, he looked badass because he had the big long scarf and everything, and he was, I mean, he looked exactly like you would expect him to look. Except his shoes. 
Oh, he had those red shoes. He had he had just like some trainers on. Like I guess he was like rocked too hard last night in Denver. But he was everything was all hardcore metal except for his orthopedic shoes. <laughs> Dude, you gotta. I would cut anybody some slack who's been crushing ass like he has. Well, uh, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even gonna hate. Not even gonna hate on it. I assume this is a new metal style, and that's what should happen now. Yeah, everybody <laughs> should be wearing red shoes now with a long scarf and getting a bit of the bubbly. Bit of the bubbly. I bit swear to God. Bubbly. I swear to God, him losing that belt inspired me not to drink. Hold on, I need a drink. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, I. Uh, I I haven't been drinking to drunkenness, but I have cut back so much. And then uh, I had a friend coming into town last week, and I and uh, she was like, "Yeah, I think the thing that's been she's she's been going through some tough stuff." You know, I've talked about this, but I don't want to name names. She's like really hard time in her life lately, and she's been like, "Yeah, you know, I got this new cat." Some of this uh, really unhappy music and scotch is what's helping me out. I was like, I'll get us a bottle of scotch. We'll sit around. We'll have some drinks and talk about it, sort it out and stuff. And then she's been so sick since she's been here. She's been on bed rest. And uh, so I, I drank that bottle in a week, and it was awesome. I, uh, I, like, I like teacher's scotch, blended scotch whiskey. It is really peaty. Um and the first time I got it was in England, and it's really hard to get now in my region because it's not distributed so well, and uh, I can't find another bottle of it. So now I feel like a jerk because I went and got another bottle of scotch last night, and I freaking hate it, and I also hate that I bought a bottle of scotch because I'm like, you know what? I don't need to be just drinking for any reason. I should be drinking when it's an appropriate opportunity or socially drinking. I shouldn't just have a bottle lying around the place. Were you drinking while watching Life After the Flash? Uh, no, I didn't have anything then. I was, I, I did have, I, I got back from that whole business today. I was really amped up after I was writing, and uh, I had, a, I had a drink, and then I ended up passing out watching a, uh, this Civil War documentary I've been wa- watching. I'm ashamed to say I've been watching Ken Burns, uh, the Civil War, which in and of itself is a pretty good documentary, except that they play the same freaking, like, four pieces of music over and over and over again throughout it. And also, as a person who appreciates history, it is really nostalgia. It's really leaning towards nostalgia instead of hard history, which I guess makes sense if you're trying to appeal to a general audience. But I've never liked Ken Burns' documentaries for multiple reasons, those being some of them. And then what's more, I'm not entirely sure that any of the people who he's got speaking in these things are accredited historians. Uh, maybe <laughs> Shelby Foote. Um, and uh, additionally, nothing seems to have happened out west, uh, west of the Mississippi in the Civil War, in his perspective. But you know why? Because there's no photographic evidence. There, are, there aren't uh, woodcuts. There's, there's nothing because there weren't any major media centers west of the Mississippi. So he doesn't discuss it. It's like it didn't happen. Like There are major things that went down out here during the Civil War. Very relevant people. Very relevant circumstances. 
I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna say I'm watching it for what it's worth, and it's helping me stay in the mindset of the stuff that I'm writing. So that is of its of itself helpful. But I'm not gonna watch any of his other bullshit. It's all obvious. Well, well tell me about the Flash. Tell me about the Flash. Oh, man. the Flash documentary. Okay, yeah. So I watched Flash Gordon with my son on Thursday evening, and he'd never seen it. And he's been wanting to know about Flash Gordon for years. And I thought, oh, he's 10. Maybe this movie's not so sensual for him. So we watched, uh, we watched Flash Gordon. And then um, I went over to the computer and I was like, hey, let's check out the trailer. And let's, let's look at a couple of scenes. And let's talk about some of these sequences so you can see the thing. See, this, see some more of the set decoration and the costumes. And uh, then we accidentally hit upon a trailer for a documentary chronicling the making of the movie and the uh, the life of Sam J. Jones afterwards. And uh, I was like, I have got to watch that. And what a perfect time. So I watched it the other night. I rented it on YouTube for about four bucks. And uh, man, it was fantastic. It's like I say, it's called Life After Flash. Um, let me see if I can find anything else about it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's listed on IMDb. You can get it as a Blu-ray, or you can download it and stream it or whatever you want to. Um, essentially, after or during the filming, what, what I learned was that during the filming, Sam Jones had a real stick up his ass. He really believed what his representation was telling him, his agent or his manager, about how important he was. And he was a relative newcomer, and he was not a seasoned actor. And... Um, you know, you had a lot of clash of personalities on that set. The director seemed like he was doing everything that he could, but then you had Dino De Laurentiis, who was the producer, and he was a love real... It. Yeah, oh man. Love Go that guy. And watch Dune. Love him, love him. Amazing guy, made amazing movies. But I think that the same type of unfortunate situations happened between him and David Lynch on Dune that you started to get in certain areas because people were terrified of him. I don't think David Lynch was terrified of him. I think David Lynch had a vision and he was trying to stick with it. But Dino and Raphael at De Laurentiis were both like, no, 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 this is our thing. But uh, Flash Gordon, on the other hand, there was this big disparity between what the actors, the screenwriter, Lorenzo, Lorenzo Simple, um, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Queen, who did the soundtrack, and then Howard Blake, who did the score... And uh, then what Dino thought the movie was supposed to be. But what was really bad was that Sam Jones had a real... He had a bigger perspective of his, of his role and his ego than everybody else did. And he really dicked them around. So in the end, despite the fact that he completed the film, he, he, didn't, he didn't get asked back for uh, After Effects re-recording of his voice. Uh, it's called ADR. And um, so if you watch the movie and you're like, oh, that's, that's Flash Gordon's voice and it's a little odd, that's not his voice. That's somebody else. And uh, Peter Wingard, who played Clytus in the movie, is one of the only people who knows who the voice actor uh, was. Um, so there were a lot of things. And it, his, his life was more... He, he performed... Sam Jones performed some, in some other stuff, but he never hit like he thought he was. Kind of like what happened with Tom Hardy after Star Trek Nemesis. Though Tom Hardy got out of it and he came back fiercely when he got some help from, uh, oh man, what is it? Uh, got Inception, Interstellar, Batman. 
Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan was like, I want Tom Hardy. Right. And put him in a bunch of stuff, and then, you know, Tom Hardy is has been a major force ever since. Sam Jones did not get that uh, kind of treatment. And the crazy part of it was, like, he's doing independent security contracting. He is a bodyguard now. Now, he was a Marine. He's still a Marine. You're always a Marine. And he had an athletic uh, background from lots of sports. And... Uh, Right. And um, uh, he uh, he had a lot of stuff going on that where it made him a physical specimen of a person, weightlifting and everything. But he had to find a way to get out of acting and find another part of his life. And so he ended up getting into being an independent security contractor uh, for people in Mexico. And that's how he more or less took care of his family in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then he started doing appearances uh, at, at cons and shows and stuff like that, doing signings, he's changed his entire life. His per- the personality issues he had way back are long gone. I'd say you get you see a guy who's very assertive when he's setting up his tables uh, at these signing events and everything, but he doesn't come off like a dick. And uh, then he's also pretty devout. He's a church going guy. He prays um, and he has a very devout family, and he's a family man. He really messed up his uh, his uh, his relationship with his first wife and his his, his earliest children, young, or his oldest children. But he's fixed all that. It was just the last. I'm gonna say third of the documentary being more about him than about the the making the movie was really amazing, really touching. But if you're into it because you want to see what the making of the movie was all about, the first two-thirds of it are phenomenal. And they've got, they've got interviews with all kinds of people. People you catch at cons like, uh, um, oh, uh, oh, crap, Darth Maul. And, Ray Park. Uh, Ray Park. Yeah, Ray Park, thank you. Guys from Nine Inch Nails. Uh, or, yeah, guys from Nine Inch Nails. you got all kinds of people. Uh, they go and they interview... Uh, Deep Roy, who was in Flash Gordon, he's you know the short, very short. Uh, what guy's in Nine Inch Nails? Obviously not Trent. You're talking about no, like. No, I'm trying to think of are, the guy's are, name. Are you talking uh, about Richard Patrick? I I can't recall the dude, the I guy the guy from Filter or Chris Vrenna or uh, dude, Danny Loner. I am it. I can't. I don't know. I don't know the guy. Uh, but it was fascinating talk, listening to these guys all talk about Robin Fink. Is, I keep running them off. Maybe I'll figure it out. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, these people all love that movie and they love what they love the performances and they love it all. They had the two dudes from Biff Bang Pow who did the uh, action figures in the early two thousands. Uh, prop collectors. I always wondered why I couldn't find any Flash Gordon props online because they're not for sale. These guys have them. Uh, Alex Ross. Really um, love Alex oh, Ross. Man. It was he, all. He does the, the best. Place. He does the best paintings of Flash. They were, yeah, I've got one signed Alex Ross painting of Flash, and it's freaking beautiful. And I've got one that he signed a couple of years ago. But, I mean, i got to say, it was a fantastic documentary. Uh, it's, it's long. It's an hour and 45. But um, if you're into it as much as I am, or even, you know, a sixth as much as I'm into it, it'll still be worth it. Especially if you want to hear Brian May talk about it and Howard Blake talking about that, that music in that movie, because it was something else. Uh Anyway, yeah, yeah, totally. That's that's one of that was one of my agenda items to talk about this this week uh, before we got into or et, before or after comics. <laughs> comics, but, uh, we've we've got a yeah. lot. We've got a lot, but 
We're not going to go too in-depth on all of them because there's, like, three I just want to completely shit on. Um, but there's some oh, really yeah, fucking one good too. ones. We've got The Green Lantern, number 11, Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, number 1, Web of Black Widow, number 1, Fantastic Four, number 14, Star Wars, number 71, The Wicked and Divine, number 45, Curse Words, number 24, Justice League, number 31, Spawn, number 300, and Fight Club, three, number 8. What do you want to do first? Mm. Well, you know what? I want to know about Fight Club because I more or less stopped reading it only because I haven't been home to pick up my polls lately. It's, uh, I really don't have that much to say that it just, it was finally Fight Clubby. <laughs> oh my gosh, really? That yeah. It, Is it, it the last it, issue? It, no, it's not the last issue. We've got like at least two more. We've got uh, what? Story wow. by Cameron, uh, story by Chuck Palahniuk, art by Cameron Stewart, colors by Dave McCraig. Letters by Nick uh, Pecos from Blambot. Covers by David Mack and Duncan uh, Fegredo. Um, <laughs> basically, this was the first most coherent issue of the entire series other than number one. Um, we've got a serious... We've got... Wow. The, the artwork is phenomenal. The, the visuals. The in-depthness into dreams and the fact that... Tyler has now Tylered himself and convinces a congregation to lay hands upon him. In which case, even the screen gets cummy. <laughs> he comes <laughs> he comes on everybody. <laughs> and I was at work reading that, laughing in hysterics. Everyone's on the phone like doing their work, and I'm like taking a five-minute break reading this comic and Laughing my ass off, guys. Uh, I think we're winding down to like probably two more last issues, and but um, we've got Chloe, and oh yeah, we've got Chloe and Marla. The character calls, that was supposed to die that they decided to bring back in Fight Club Two. Marla, she's still around, huh? Well, this has this this reminds me of like the book that Polonic wrote, Snuff. Uh huh. Uh, about the woman that wanted to break the world record for most guys fucked in one particular sitting. And that's basically what part of this story's about, and they need someone that can handle this. And Chloe is in hospice care, and she gets a phone call from Marla that says, You still horny? <laughs> Jeez. Does Rose Kennedy own a black dress? <laughs> that's uh, That's a hell of a thing to say. <laughs> yep, and they go, uh, dude. This is this was beautiful. This this was worth it. <laughs> That's all cool. I gotta say about that. You just gotta finish it. Like basically, we we keep talking about it. Still, we talk about it like we know what we're talking about. We're not gonna know what we're talking about until after it's done, and we read it three or four times, discuss it in a committee, have a couple of drinks, go to AA, and then maybe we'll be able to tell you what we think happened. Yeah, I'm going to have to read it all in one sitting, I think, and uh, we, so... We just, did it with two. Yeah, yeah, we totally did. What you got next? Let's, uh, I, I'm excited to hear what you want to talk about, Fantastic Four number 14. Let's hear the credits. Okay, yeah, let me pull up my file on that one. Uh, I go back to the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been reading Fantastic Four, but I don't know, I just... Picked it up out of nowhere. Let's see. It's it's a Dan Slot book, so you know. Hey, what the hell? It's it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be pretty decent. 
Uh, if it's Dan Slott, I mean, we just got all that, what, Spider-Man with him, right? Spider, so, it was like 10 solid years of Spidey. It was beautiful. Yeah. We got Paco Medina is the artist, uh, Jesus Abertov is the color artist, and G- VC's Joe Caramagna as the letterer. Uh, Mike Diodato and Romulo Fajardo Jr. Fajardo? I don't know, man. I'm sorry. Uh, are the cover artists, and there are variant covers all over on this one. Um, this was a cute story because, you know, they've just come back from all of these serious issues and then they, they are opening, they're doing an opening at, uh, uh, the Smithsonian, the Air and Space Museum. And they mention some of the actual things that are there, which is freaking rad. They talk about Jaeger's X1, which is funny because I'm, well, I don't know if it's funny, but you know. Whatever. Uh, I'm I'm listening to the book The Right Stuff on Audible right now, which has got a lot to do with uh, Chuck Yeager. Um, so, yeah, they've got this opening. And honestly, I was a little bit I mean, I get it that they're little kids or they're not little kids. They're teen, ten, teenagers or something. But uh, Franklin and Valeria just aren't into any of it. And I'm going somehow or another, they ought to be of all kids into this stuff more than anybody else. But uh, but on the storyline level, okay. So obviously, that where they're looking at the beat up old cigar shaped Marvel One spaceship, mm-hmm. and they have no interest in it. And this, they're about to, the the FF is about to get actually complete their original mission. Of yeah. course, they need to stay for when shit goes wrong. Oh yeah, but uh, I mean, basically, thing Ben Graham is a little miffed about the whole thing. It's never been something that he was super thrilled about. He doesn't mind being a superhero. Uh, I just think that if he could be a superhero on the par of maybe Doc Samson or Luke Cage, he'd be happy. But um, I think the weird thing was the appearance of these kind of prissy a-hole characters Fuck that those guys. were supposed to be on the mission and didn't get to, and they were total dicks about Grimm. <laughs> Being kind of a monster. No, thank and, uh, you for going on and us not happening. That, yeah. that not happening to us because we've got a regular life. We've got a family. We're just fine. And then when Johnny freaked the fuck out. Man, yes, that oh. was awesome. This was the most grown up I've ever seen Johnny. And uh, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, you know, deciding, hey, we didn't get to go where we planned on going and I want to go there. Yeah. And then getting on board with Reed the pair of them doing their own little science project to build a duplicate, a what? spaceworthy duplicate of the Marvel One. While so not using their powers it. to build it. Exactly. They're doing it the way they intended to. The thing that most excited me about this whole issue, it was the idea that Johnny was credited as being the youngest pilot in NASA history. Oh, that and was a wonderful was a montage. Teenager. That was a wonderful yeah, montage. Yeah, there's a, a one-page montage of of uh, Ben Grimm being like, okay, yeah, if that's what you think, then I'll, I'll train you on a lark. And so he's like, they're like, two more times around the course, Storm, and he's like, make it five. You know, lights <laughs> out, not until I've got this. No, no, it, was, know, a, it the, was like, just wait till you land it in dim light. Like, screw it, turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the base record? You know, it was just like... To see this kid that was determined, you never, ever see Johnny Storm being determined to do anything. And it's one of those unfortunate things in Marvel Comics that after all this time, 
We've never seen him be more than one-dimensional. Yeah, he's going to fix up a hot rod, and he's going to drive it around or Meet whatever. Some cool like, chick, yeah. I've never seen him grow. Like, Flash Thompson has grown up more than Johnny Storm after all of these years. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Flash, and, especially uh, even just in the last year, or even five years, like, the way they've developed Flash Thompson as Venom and the way they ended everything. But, yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen any sort of growth within Johnny, and I've been reading FF, like, my whole life. Yeah. It was just badass. That whole sequence was really beautiful, and then uh, there was a cute moment between, you know, Alicia and uh, Ben Grimm are married now in how he was saying all the things. He, he was def- definitely not going to go on the mission. He definitely didn't want anything to do with it. But he's talking himself, but then she just lets him go off on it because she knows him so well. And I'm like, man, I, having a relationship like that would be pretty good. Uh but then they get in the thing and they they blast off and they're going to go to the place they've never they never got to go. And I loved the whole sequence in there. There was a whole statement. Was it Valeria who said, um, you know, you guys, we could more comfortably, faster get into any one of our gimmicks that would get us there virtually instantaneously. And you guys are wanting to go in this dumb, you know, period piece. You know, it was just like, yeah, of course we do, because that's what it was. I, wonder, I don't know. I dug that, too. I wonder what Stan Lee would have thought if Dan Slott was like, hey, guess what? I'm going to complete the original Fantastic Four mission and get to the planet that oh, m- we tricky. might be able to to inhabit. Oh, he would I think been... I, I think that uh, Stan Lee would be tickled and fine with it. Why he... the fuck haven't we thought about that before? <laughs> yeah, he's not Vince McMahon, you know? He's one of these guys that's just like, oh, that's a great idea. Do it, Excelsior. That's good shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, think th- he, I think he likes everything that pretty much anybody is doing. My favorite montage in this is the thing, bitching about uh, not even doing anything like this, that they would even consider doing this and alicia is constantly she's just making sandwiches Uh uh-huh you said it Uh uh-huh absolutely yeah that's what's going on babe and then they 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 tune in and they 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 he sees that the uh herbie is sitting in his pilot seat he's like oh fuck this i'm the best there is and he and she's like already got his lunch packed and the the seat is as big as it should be to to fit him and controls are as big for his big mitts and he's got his arm like that new arm he's got after that that whole caper from the honeymoon that just ended, but that was a that was a phenomenal issue. It really struck home in sense of it wasn't like like we've failed and we're trying to relive something. This was something like we never actually completed that mission. Why why have we never done that before? Let's fucking do it. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it, like it kind of strikes me as odd that they've never been to that place, but. I didn't know that they were going anywhere originally. If you go back and read Fantastic Four number one, they're just saying we need to beat the commies into orbit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the they weren't going anywhere. So that this is somebody's new plan to do. It's Dan Slott's new concept. I'm, I'm all for it. That sounds fun. Let's try this out. Hopefully they go someplace amazing and there's they get there and like there's something there that you would never expect. And it's like, oh my god, all of this horrible shit is right on our doorstep, and now we've got to stop it. That's the next big adventure or something like that. But, uh, 
Well, I'd give yeah, I'd give that fun. one I'd give that one if it was a if it was a we're we're talking about a, a wrestling match, give it a solid four. Yeah, I mean, it makes me want to go back and read what they've been doing, and and you know what, I'm down four to read the match. next ones just to see what's what. Four yeah. star match. I give it. Uh, uh, I give it four FFs. I want to talk about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy number one. Very good. This was one of the worst comic books I've ever read in my life. This <laughs> I I don't think I'm not even going to tell you who wrote it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who drew it. It doesn't matter who put any bit of effort into this. I wonder how many homeless people could have been fed than printing this giant sack of slock pop culture bullshit. This was not a comic book. This was a comic strip. This was so bad that in comparison, Betty and Veronica Digest number 8,000 seems like Shakespeare. If you read this (laughs) comic book and you enjoyed it and you're listening to our podcast, fuck off. (laughs) Go away. If that's what you think, and sorry, I'm only speaking for myself on this, not Colin. If you thought that was a good comic book, I don't want to know you. And sh- shame on DC for for thinking that people should buy this, dude. It's it's a cash grab. It, it wasn't it's, just it, a cash it's, grab. It's, it, it was. There's, it's all the same crap now. It's all Deadpool. It's Harley Quinn. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna get Harley Quinn, and you're gonna get Poison Ivy in revealing costumes with suggestive glances. We're kind of cheesecake poses. Yeah. We're vaguely lesbianic. That'll get people to buy this. The girls will get it because they want to have some kind of crazy relationship with somebody. The girls are going to get it because they... Because, like, that's the thing that gets me. It's more often than not, girls are dressing up as Harley Quinn because they think it's easy to do that makeup. People that Uh, can't read could understand this comic book. It was that bad. Like, shame on you, DC. This was terrible. You could have done something with the paper stock that you're using in the same sense that Marvel's been doing the history of, of the Marvel Universe. You you could have expanded on, on, on some random... I would have rather you've done... Uh, used the paper you printed this on uh, telling us about the origin of the calculator that Batman fought back in the early 60s. Um, awesome. I, okay, wait. Okay, that's a good point. So what would you have done... If you got handed an assignment, hey, make us a, a Harley Quinn and a Poison Ivy book. Go. Oh, I would have completely done what animators do when they're making uh, children's cartoons. The way that Rocco and SpongeBob and Ren and Stimpy uh, had some highly suggestive weird things in it. I would have gone... I would have taken a shitload. Oh, yeah. I, I would have. I, I would have wanted people to think that I took a shitload of mushrooms and wrote this comic book when I actually didn't, and put some jokes in there that I doubt this thing was even edited. Like it was like, is it in English? Okay, great, print it. It's Harley Quinn, and <laughs> there's some titties, and they're kind of lesbians, and they got a fast car. <laughs> Fuck that. Anyway, I'm done on that. Tell me how much uh, Star Wars: The Jedi Fallen Order sucked too. Um, unfortunately, that one was super lame, mainly. I picked it up like, okay, hey, this is a, it's a Star Wars number one, and I want to know what they're going to do with it. It sucked mainly because the first part of it has an Inquisitor, 
which is awesome. I think the Inquisitors are cool. Um, they are they're characters that started appearing in the Star Wars uh, Disney the Disney XD Star Wars Rebels series, which is freaking great. If you haven't watched that and you're a Star Wars fan, check it out. Not only are there is it like it takes place in the era of the Empire and there are stormtroopers running around blasting and these guys are, it's just it's a good story and it's well it, it it's acceptable for kids but it's acceptable for adults too. So uh, the Inquisitors are uh, Sith lords that the Emperor is okay with having around and they go around hunting for Jedi. Uh, Go back and read any of the uh, Darth Vader books recently, and they have the Inquisitor, the first Inquisitor that we encounter in that series. Uh, that was really good. Um, he really wanted it. To, we, we, we reviewed that some time ago, because I, I, I checked that one out from the library. But uh, So there's some random new Inquisitor. No big deal. They're on a planet where there is uh, there are a lot of stormtroopers trying to take somebody down, and there's a lot of gunfire. But we don't ever see any rebels shooting at them. We don't even see whatever this dangerous thing is. And and it's like, okay, there are stormtroopers and there's this Inquisitor. But suddenly it stops being as much stormtroopers as it is, hey, let's invent all new types of stormtroopers. I'm like, guys, you're not going to make your mark on Star Wars by inventing a new type of stormtrooper every time you get the opportunity. That's not garbage. What a bunch that of stuff, garbage. That stuff drives me nuts. Uh, oh, hey, I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to put one little red stripe on their helmet or something. No, these are like, hey, here's wholly new helmets that are, there's no precedent. So anymore, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Uh, so we go from that for a couple of pages to suddenly this flashback to <coughs> before the Clone Wars, the Jedi Council, and we've got two random Jedi and one of them is, of course, a hothead. I mean, and the and her her master is a is an astute, uh, you know, ambassadorial type, who's a Jedi master. And very quickly, I was like, I've seen this story before. This, why are you trying to develop another story? Even going back into Rebels, you've got kind of a hothead thief character who's going to be trained by a Padawan who never got to go through all the trials or whatever. Well, and it's like, at least here we've got a Padawan who stands every chance of becoming a full-fledged Jedi Knight. But, I mean, I'm like, I've seen that movie. It's called Star Wars. You've got a hothead teamed up with the Jedi Master for three movies. Why, why are we still running that? Why is that the trope? Could we have a laconic Jedi that needs to, to branch out? Even in the new issue of Star Wars, you read my mind. There's that girl. Yeah. There's that girl. Let's yeah, talk about that, that thief one. character. Yeah, I mean, let's let's. I'm just gonna say, yeah. I just because it was a number one, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll check this out and see what happens, and I'm not gonna go any further with it. Uh, uh, so yeah, the new Star Wars. What was the issue number, by the way? Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Yeah. I mean, we're still we've still got our our core team split up between uh, the multiple planets that they're on. Chewie and C-3PO are dealing with the rock people. Uh, it's the Rebels and Rogues storyline, by the way. Um, Luke and this thief character are running around, and they're supposed to break into this place. And uh, Leia and Han are running around on this other planet, and uh, they're dealing with this guy that Leia sort of dated way back when she was a young young senator and stuff. Uh Honestly, after 
a couple of months. I'm kind of amazed that this storylines haven't all wrapped themselves on and progressed because uh, there was way more excitement for me in the first issue. When How often do these come out? Like, I feel like it's like every other week now. Yeah, maybe it's bi-monthly or something like that. Um, maybe one every three weeks. But they're cranking them, and that's awesome. Because you get some other stuff that never comes out, like Scarlet or The Ultimates, and uh, you have to reread everything to know what the hell you have to catch up on. Uh, I mean, like, this This is still high, high quality. The art is fantastic. Uh, and done, the, uh, done by uh, Phil Noto and written yeah. by Greg Pak. That's he right. He uh, Clayton Cowles, did the lettering. Uh, Phil uh-huh. Noto was a cover artist. Uh, I particularly dig Luke running around in his Tatooine robe. He's got that. He's got that that appeal, and uh, the whole thing with you've got this character in there talking to him, reading like uh, doing that mantra. I am that, the one um, with the. I am Kira, one with the Force, and the Force is with me. Forces with me. Like it never occurred to me to think about that. You go in and so many stories about Luke Skywalker before Empire Strikes Back, and he has a major confidence issue. And it makes sense that once he actually starts believing in himself, everything would change. And I dug that because I read that before I tried to go to the con today. And then it was one of those things that I carried around with me all day. Just freaking believe in yourself and just get something done. I, You know, it was just fate, the opportunity to sit down and write today. Which, you know, I feel like I'm getting to sit down and actually write only every so often. And I need to be getting up earlier and at least pecking away at it for 45 minutes or something while I'm having my coffee, if I can find a wherewithal to do it. But uh, that part was the part that really got me. And I really like the part where the guy, uh, oh, the security officer uh, on the planet was like, aren't you guys dating to Han and Leia? Essentially. I'm really paraphrasing there. I also loved that the rock monsters realized that C-3PO was an, was an ore-based creature. And uh, they could communicate with him suddenly. And, and there was that, all of those flashbacks to all these places where... They revealed to her that he's a slave. <laughs> exactly. But I liked that he was like, no, 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 no. I have a job. These are my people. They're not just my master, you know? <clears throat> so, yeah, that was badass. What do you now it's C-3PO and Chewie versus Darth Vader. I want to see... Because they forced that bullshit on us... That Anakin Skywalker, as a child, created C-3PO. Yeah. I've never liked that. I never thought that was cool. But I can appreciate the opportunity to get them together and see if there's any chance at recognition. That would be fun. Well, so. his he's already... C-3PO's already had his mind wiped, even though Anakin hasn't or even acknowledged it. I'm looking forward to what they're going to do with this chick. Uh, I, I hope they don't do what they do with what they did with Doctor Afra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope they really take this character and really run with it and give us a, a brand new trope for someone that it should be followed and studied within Star Wars. Because obviously she wants part. Of, she's part of the Force. She's got some mm-hmm. sort of Jedi powers. However, she's never been trained. It's probably never is going to be trained. But she wants that fucking lightsaber, and. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of good splash pages in this one. I'm. This is a good tweener episode. I think this is probably like the last. Uh, let's see. So, you know they're ending it at seventy five. So yeah, this might be. God, I want to say maybe like, this is probably the last until it. Maybe unless they do like two or three 
like farewell until they do Star Wars number one again, and it's hopefully it's in between um, Empire and and um, and Jedi. If okay, so my pretty much my entire life. I mean, when I was a little kid, how did you play Star Wars? Oh, did you play Star Wars? Did you have the, uh, enough action figures to do it? I'm slightly older than you, so I definitely had a ton of it. You I know? I didn't have Star Wars figures. Uh, okay. I, I didn't have Star Wars figures. I played. All my stuff was G.I. Joe, Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles, X-Men. To me, uh, I mean, G.I. Joe was like, I'm going to set up a base. These guys are going to come attack it, take over the base, and these guys have to get it back. And that's that's like, that's me playing a game of G.I. Joe for three or two or three days. Uh, and then my mom being like, pick all this crap up. There's stuff all over the place, and you've got to, like, we can't have it out all the time. And I'm like, okay, no problem. But, um... Because I'd had my fill by that time. And, like, I'd do the same thing with Star Wars. Like, okay, here's a little base. It occurred to me at a certain point that the essence of Star Wars was Luke running around trying to figure something out new about the Force. And to me, it was always about the the expanded universe. And we got to go someplace, and I got to encounter somebody who is trying to thwart my plans. So it was like, but Darth Vader has been killed. You know, the Emperor is dead. So then it then it occurred to me, all the adventure happens between Star Wars and Empire. And then I remember Star- Shadows of the Empire coming out and that like, okay, no, I can take this as here's the story of the six months between Empire and Jedi. So all the best stuff happens now in this timeline. So I'm really hoping... That the last several issues leading up to the Empire Strikes Back comics, which I hope they do, will glean a lot of insight. You know, and it'll be Greg Pak's insight. And it'll be somebody else's insight it's, who, who gets the opportunity to do this. But more insight into these characters and into these situations preceding that would go a lot, a long way for me. I would like that. Well, I don't know where they're going to go with it. What other comments you enjoyed this week? I really liked that Green Lantern, but mainly because it was Grant Morrison, and I was I was dropped in the middle of a lukewarm bath with that story that made precious little sense to me. I haven't been reading it. I had no idea what was going on. It made very little sense to me, but it really it really came home in the last five pages. Uh, and, yeah, more or less. Yeah, we're talking about Green Lantern number eleven, mm-hmm. written by Grant Morrison. Artwork. Pull this up here. Where's he gonna give me the pages here? I got the same problem. I wrote everything down in a in a file, so I have to like scroll through it to figure out where all of my credit information is. Ooh. Um, mainly it was Grant Morrison. It was Liam Sharp did the art, did the cover, and uh, 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 draw drew it. Uh, Stephen Olaf is the colorist, and um, Tom Orzakowski is the letterer with Paul Pope and Bruno Seelig. Which made a lot of sense because there were a couple of different types of fonts in this one, depending on who was talking. Well, that makes sense because Olaf used to work for All the Optics, and I believe Olaf is one of the ones that that colored Spawn number one in a lot of the original image number ones. Ah. I really like this page. I don't know what it is. There was like this kind of techno-organic Green Lantern. I'm not going to say I've been reading enough of it to know just what the hell's going on at all. Uh, but or who any of these characters are? But there was there was a Green Lantern that was kind of techno organic, and uh, when they revealed Sinestro 
in one just page. The hanging la- out. The bottom frame. Yeah, <laughs> totally standing there all, like, foppish or something. He reminded me of Scar um, from, from, from Lion King. Oh, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But the mm-hmm. Quaman's on his way back, and there's just no other way of putting it. You're all going to die. He, he just He's holding his hand to his chest. He sees ringing. He comes off really fucking gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like that, like, uh... Southern debutante, like, oh, I do declare y'all are going to be crushed to smithereens. Yeah. <laughs> puff, puff, puff. <laughs> there's so much, uh, there's so much talking going on from all of these different characters, these different types of Green Lanterns. It makes me think of Marvel Boy, where you've got so many different types of characters with different dialects going on. Uh, and not even just dialects, it's just, hi, I'm a different type of being, so everything that comes out of my mouth would sound completely different. And they really, like, anything you're reading with Grant Morrison where he's into that, he's going to ride that horse until it's dead. And by uh, riding so, the horse until it's dead is continuing multiversity fucking bullshit. Yep. And it was a little obnoxious at first that he just has to keep going for it. But seeing all the different lanterns coming from different places was a lot of fun. The The fact that Shaggy from Scooby-Doo is a lantern in this, and they don't, they don't flat out say it, but he's wearing a fucking Timothy yeah. Leary shirt. And he must be it's yeah. like, oh, zoinks. <laughs> uh, when they're doing their, uh, at the very last page, and, okay, so just to bring it home, guys, what's going on is they encounter a giant golden being that has convinced himself that he's a victim. And has been drawing in right. people in extra-dimensional sources to be his legion army. But it's his his fight, his plight, has already been lost. And anyone that is going to be involved in this is going to die. And Hal Jordan encounters a uh, multiversity ex-girlfriend that, that determines that we can defeat this by love. And they actually do. They, they, they bring things in. Especially when they uh, introduce, you know, Universe Zero and... Mm-hmm. You're you're seeing that this giant being of fire is no harm, preserve life functions. It it's just they've got those those superheroes that are just so generic. Like um, oh god, I know those those super generic Morrison characters, like strong guy. It's like this guy in an all red suit and he's got some blue trunks and a cape. <laughs> like like come no, on, there was man. strong woman and there what was yeah they. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I want to. I gotta. Let me find that but page. But we're we're building to a better part where they're introducing a new baddie, the 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 yeah. dark hero, the dark villains at the edge of the universe. Uh, I really little, don't like the look of this guy. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got Wolverine claws, and he reminds me of Cyborg Superman. It just it's just so. The Quaman. Hi, I'm a bad guy. Like, obviously, you would never encounter a good guy that looks like this. It makes me think of Drive, the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling. Karen One of my Mulligan. favorite movies. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that scene where uh, Driver is sitting with the, the, the little boy watching cartoons. You don't see what they're watching. But, uh, like, how do you know that guy's a bad guy? It's like, he's a shark. Like, he's a shark. Why would, you know, he's just, he's a bad guy. It's obvious. I mean, a shark is a shark. And Driver's sitting there thinking about that and ruminating on himself. Am I a bad guy? Is this all a bunch of crap? Is there any way that I could possibly end up a good guy? 
you know? He's trying to do good guy stuff. But like, you know, Ryan Gosling is a different looking person. This character, the, the, the entire design is so, I'm from the edge of the universe and I'm techno insectoid and obviously the worst thing ever. It's very 90s. And at worst, it's not so much 90s as it is a holdover from like 2002 or 2001 when the 90s wasn't quite over yet. And we ought to be trying to figure out what we're doing next. So to, I don't know. I mean, as a, as a Morrison fan, it makes me wonder where his head is. But yes, please, let's see. Let's see. I'll, I'll ride the ride a little bit farther and see what's going on, even if I can't understand what the hell anybody's talking about. I'm going to move Nevertheless, on. Nevertheless, no, I got one more thing. Tell me. It made me wonder, what would it be like to encounter ex-girlfriends from another reality? Like, hey, you know, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't date you anymore from my reality for this reason, but... What if we started dating? You're from another reality. I'm from another reality. We're both into one another, clearly. Let's uh, see what happens. That part was fascinating. And it, I sat there for a, a, merely a second ruminating the concept outside of actually going like, well, I'd like to date her again or some crap like that, you know? Ghost of Pussy Past. Goddamn. <laughs> Shit. All right. That was Green Lantern. <laughs> Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number three, issue five. Mm. Uh, How's that going? Uh, it's amazing. I'm only going to touch on the fact because you have to read it. Anyone is that reads comics needs to read this. If you're into DC crossovers and having a lot of fun, imagine Krang's um, android body not just being a regular android body, but he is built into the anti-monitor, and it is fucking incredible. Oh, that's interesting. It is very good. Uh, Wicked and Divine. Uh, this is the last one, issue 45. Kieran Gillian, writer, Jamie McKelvey, artist, Matthew Wilson, colorist, Clayton Cowell's letter. Um, imagine that you were part of a super group Band. Imagine David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Susie Sue, um, Chelsea Wolf. David Bowie and Susie Sue. is their DJ. Out I mean, of control. Like, imagine they're all one band and they're gods, and they are part of a perpetual cycle that they are all sacrificed and continuously are born every X amount of years. Well. The story's ending. This is the very last issue. And the protagonist, her, her wife is dead. You know, she's gone. And she's coming to the funeral and she encounters Lucifer. Age. Everyone's aged. They never thought they'd get that old. And imagine oh, being, yeah. imagine being oh. those different personalities in that supergroup, never expecting to live that long. And a few of them are gone. And one of them is dead. The, the, the one that really, truly influenced them all. And they're at a funeral mm. and the eulogy is about to happen. And then the person that just died, a hologram appears that can instinctively read their minds and deliver their own eulogy. And you realize what part you have in, in the greater good of, of, of an artistic endeavor. And that's what the wicked of the vine truly is. And the, the hologram giving her own eulogy breaks it down. Yeah. I hated you, but God damn, do I love you? 
God, your music pissed me off, but I can't get it out of my head, and I can hear it in my sleep. Even I'm dead, and I can still hear it. Um, you, I, I never thought we'd be together, but I, I'll love you till till the end of time and, and further. And you, you see them, uh, have, people that have lost their bodies have these robotic, it's like flowing ribbon s bodies, android wise. I mean, like it really pushed the limits of what can happen, and. Imagine one of your favorite comic book stories that you knew was finite that came to an end and ended with a funeral just for you, speaking to you, breaking the fourth wall, giving you a funeral for one of your favorite comics for you to mourn that it's over and the characters literally telling you goodbye, we love you, and we'll see you soon in whatever fashion we may we ever, 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 ever show up. That is what happened in this, and I'm I'm glad it's over because I can't wait to get the the hardbound copies, and uh, to have as a you know I've got the single issues, but like I can't wait to have like the nice coffee table like like those are the ones that stand out like the absolute absolute Virgo you know absolute Sandman books. That's what happened in the yeah. in the vine. Uh, any, any, you got anything to add to that? I mean, like, am I just like seriously? No, dude, that's changes. Like, even then, that makes me think of Grant Morrison talking about how his run on, uh, was it Animal Man, I think, ended, where Animal Man's walking down the street and he turns to the turns to you, the uh, the fourth wall, and says, I, I know you're there, I see you. you yep, know? that and, would be Animal Man. And I'm like, I'm, I haven't read those, but I'm aware of it, and that is a great way to end something. I've never heard of anything like that before. But simultaneously, it I, I don't know, it, it makes me think of... Uh, it makes me think of powerful multi-decade, maybe multi-generational relationships. You know, like... That's exactly that's what the Wicked... That's new, exactly what the Wicked and Divine is. It's a tr- it's 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 the beginning of a of a possible trend. You know, how do you end something? The best ending to any television like the best the, the best finale, you know, you get Battlestar Galactica people have a lot of beef with that one, but like the Star Trek the Next Generation is qualified as one of the best series enders ever. Mash you know, whatever. Uh, the Walking Dead just stopped out of nowhere. I gotta say, G.I. Joe, a real American hero from Marvel Comics issue number 155, was a fantastic way to end that series. Uh, God, I mean, most of these sh- books just go on and on and on, depending. It's just the end of a run, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, that is a way, that is a great way to end a book. It was phenomenal, and it was worth, it was worth the ride. It's been it's been, I want to say, a six-year ride. What? Why? Why stop the book, though? Is the story told? The story's told. That's fucking great, man. To me, the story you, should you be You just give told. me goosebumps. You just give me goosebumps. You're right. The story. And then if you want to go, if there's another story suddenly, maybe it wasn't the right time to do it, you know, get out there and do a special. Here is don't don't give us another fucking like doomsday clock. Don't give us another hey, let's let's force this. People will buy this. No, do a do a do a do a EP. Yeah. You know, just hey, here's just Love one EPs. here's just one more story. 
It's not 24 pages long. It's not 36 pages long. It's Here's a 76-page one-shot. It's 10 bucks. If you like this, if you liked it, you know, hey, you're going to like this, I hope. It makes me think, because I'm thinking about the same business, like, lately with the Black Widow, uh, you know, in, in Marvel Endgame, or in uh, Avengers Endgame, and I've thought to myself, I can't believe that character wouldn't be able to go on anymore. But, of course, there's a Black Widow movie on the horizon, and it should chronicle what she starts out as. I can't wait. And, and I'm hoping that we'll have scenes that takes pl- take place in between all of the movies we know and love, and we get to see some of those characters still. Like, just because Cap is old or and has handed off the shield or whatever... Why can't those guys come back for a brief scene? And I don't know. I was I was thinking about that because I started reading uh, Web of Black Widow, and I was hoping for more out of it. We got some good nuggets out of this out of this issue, man. I mean, like the writer Jody. Oh, Hau- I like it. Uh, writer Jody Hauser, artist uh, mm-hmm. Stephen uh, Mooney, color artist uh, Triona Farrell, literals uh, VC Corey Pettit. Uh, cover artist uh, Yujin Yoon. Uh, man, this was... Uh, I love the cover because you can tell how she... Yeah, she's yeah, a baby! Crazy. Look at her face. She's a baby. And from from neck up, neck down, fully fully formed woman, assassin, on a zip line, over the shadow of the woman she's about to be or become. And I'm a little upset that we're out of Madripoor, but that's okay. Well, yeah. I mean, what did you think? Go of, back to Madripoor. What did you think that were? Were you looking for more flashbacks in this? In in, in regards okay. to what you're saying? Yeah. If someone walked up and said, "Hey, write me a Black Widow book," okay, cool. We're going to finally do Black Widow origin. Here is all the like. I want a try time period thing. I want her to be. Dealing with the ramifications of what she did, I want her to be doing the things that she did, and I want her telling us about how she got to that point. All the bad stuff. Everything that only Barton knows. Yeah, essentially. And that's the crazy thing, is that in the comics, the relationship between her and Clint is not the same as in the movies. The movies is authentically more realistic. But the way she was introduced with Hawkeye in Iron Man way, way, way back. And, uh, you know, she was stringing him along. Uh, not Iron Man, but... Um, I like... I, I just... I want to see the worst part of her life. I want to see her... I want to see the movie we're promised of here's how she became the Black Widow. But I think that unfortunately that movie already came out. The uh, the iron was hot, and the Jenner, the Jennifer Lawrence movie Red Sparrow may be that movie, but I haven't seen it. Well, so if, I don't know. if she's Russian, I would want it to be where like this Russian film that we were shown back in my Eastern women, your Eastern European women's writing mm-hmm. class. Uh, I'd want her. I'd want to copy it, that movie. I'd want her to like be abandoned by her, by her mom and dad. Be raised by her, uh, you know, some forlorn um, family member that just got stuck with her, and for her to come home from school and 
they're packing up or the place is empty and they've, they've abandoned her, which is actually something that happens quite often in Russia. Mm-hmm. And in a giant uh, apartment building that's made completely out of concrete and you've got toilet paper on the coffee table, not because you're someone needed to blow their nose, but that was just a status symbol for someone to come in and be like, oh, they've got toilet paper. These guys are worth more than me. I'd want to see something like that and then being abducted into sex slavery and then being rescued by someone that realized that she had better skills to... It's La Femme Nikita, dude. I just the... I, I just described La Femme Nikita. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, no breakdown, yeah. sorry. I don't no, mean to rip that no, off. No, 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 uh, you're, you're right. It's, it's like in Glow, and he's like, yeah, the guy goes back in time and tries to fuck his... <laughs> fuck his mom and they're like yeah I saw that movie last week it's called Back to the Future and he's like no I haven't even made this I, movie yet <laughs> I think the thing yeah I dig but I I think that I think what we're saying is like I, I don't even need her to be think about how the Jedi oh hey we detected that your kid might be a Jedi uh, if that's alright we're gonna take him take him take her take it it's gonna become a Jedi Knight yeah uh, how can I say no to that what am I going to get out of it? I'm a poor farmer. Okay, well, we'll give you some money or whatever. You know, it's some awful shit like that. It's the Soviet system. They would have just said, we're going to take this kid or this kid is an orphan. And it doesn't make any difference. The Soviets would have just taken your kid if they wanted it. But I'm sure they would have been like, that doesn't do us any good. No, I mean, we tortured and killed this traitor to the Soviet system. So we're going to take their kid and make them into our best spy. That's the kind of shit I want to see. I want to see like that the, the TV series The Americans. So good. I've only seen the first season and I loved it. Uh, just one of those things I want to sit down and watch with other people. Um, but uh, anyway, long long story long. I I loved a couple of things. I loved the way I didn't realize that this was Tony Stark in this issue. I I until I, it. Because he's never drawn exactly this way. He didn't look swanky enough. This was the most Ethan Hawke of Tony Stark's I've ever seen drawn. But it was so... Uh, there was one part that just was, like, so stupid to me. Which uh, part? Don't get involved. You can't... Oh, yeah. That's like telling someone... That. That's like telling someone that's, like, red-hot angry to calm I down. I need your goddamn help. That's what that means. Yeah, just... That, that little part was lazy writing, and... and I, I, I'm saying this is a decent Black Widow comic book, but after the Soska sisters gave us a fucking 10 out of 10 epic that needs to be studied, um, homeboy that wrote this, uh, you get, why didn't you do your homework? You, you can't, that, that's like, that's like trying to... They don't have to. Well, that's like trying to fucking like be a, a stand-up comedian following Bill Burr that just randomly crashed your set. <laughs> like, yeah, it, at, least, at least have known that seen what just happened and like, oh man, maybe I need to set my game up because you, you got to keep going further and further. Don't, don't disrespect us after a Sosa sisters epic and then give us something that's like, oh, hey, Tony, don't get involved. I expect you to listen. Wink, wink. And then, and then the fact that she's hiding all invisible, like three stories up that the Iron Man suit didn't even detect. Fucking please. She's not a, she's not a scientist that has spyware that can beat Stark tech. Bullshit. Uh, it's just shield stuff. And that's the thing is that all shield stuff is Stark tech stuff. I really love the old, the original, uh, Nick Fury agents of shield books where Tony Stark is 
you know, I'm a sympathetic guy that's really trying to help out, and it's a big deal, and they, they treat him like he's the boss because he's throwing that money around and giving them the opportunity and the ability to do stuff with the technology that exists at the time. Even if it is ridiculous shit, like a gigantic sonic gun that they have to test on Nick or whatever, just crazy town. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, you're always going to have that stuff. I really liked that scene, and not only because of what it looked like, but uh, where she more or less introduced herself. It, it, it belies a code that they have between them. Hey, if I'm ever in disguise and uh, I need you to know that I'm there, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And he realizes what it is and he's like, okay, yeah, I know this is you. That was badass. Uh, because I want that stuff, that familiarity. But, well, uh, do you think they're going to actually give the actual origin, like give us like a Logan or Wolverine origin story in this without it actually being called Black Widow origin? No, definitely not. Because they're if they're going to do that, that's going to be ultra advertised, and it's going to be uh, Axel. It's going to be Axel Alonso and Casada. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, they're why not? Really heavy duty. Who has the? Uh, who thinks they have the mantle? Is going to do it more than anything else. More than more than just handing that off to. Um, I don't want to say anything negative. I'm trying not to say something like a jobber or a B-lister. These yeah. guys are not those people. Uh, These guys... In- instead of jobber, you say enhancement talent. These guys are happy sure. to do the job, but they also aren't getting squashed because they suck. They're, they yeah. they know their role. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a legit story, and there's a lot of cool ideas in it and things that I really like. But, yeah, I also dig what you're saying about that whole that whole business of... If you're gonna, if, if Tony Stark's gonna be in the story, he's gonna be in the freaking story, and I get it. You know, Natalie, or uh, you know, Natalia, what, Blackwood, Natalia. She doesn't want a screaming red and gold Corvette when she's trying to be subtle. But subtlety, like Aldrich Killian said, is out the window uh, when you're the Black Widow and you're looking like you look and you've got the red hair with those horrible bangs. I hate hate that that look. It's terrible. Uh, the rest of her is awesome. No, I, just, I totally dig that she assassinated the hell out of somebody. Um, I think that's a cool... I think we need to see her doing the bad things. If, we, if, that, if, that, if there's anything that follows in the trend of what the Soska sisters gave us, her, like, Nat doing the bad thing for her own reasons, which are probably the good reasons or the right reasons, there needs to be that. I don't see why we can't have... You can't have the Punisher on a team. But I don't see why we can't have the Secret Avengers or the Dark Avengers... Funny you say that. ...running around... Pulling the trigger and ending people. You know what I mean? Funny you say that. If, uh, Punisher just assembled the team, and it's obviously going to dissolve really quickly. But he's also part of the Savage Avengers at the moment at the same time. Yeah. And he's also that lone crazy gunman that like they have to wrangle in all the time. Um, but it works for a small amount of time. Like, fine. Yeah. Hey, we're on a solo mission. It's not going to last forever. God help me, don't team up the Punisher with Deadpool. Yeah. 
I did love the letters page, if you want to call it that. Did you see the uh, that last page with the uh, uh, what did you call it? What do you call it? The old school corner boxes on the covers. Yeah, that was freaking neat. I like that. Man, uh, I don't have that much left, man. I just want to briefly touch on curse words. No, no, I'm out of stuff. What, what else do we have? I cur- curse I words number twenty four. Oh, go go ahead. Sorry, man. Anyway. Yeah. No, 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 no. I did, I'll wait. It's the last thing. Uh, cur- go ahead. Curse words number twenty four. They're about to wrap up the epic curse words storyline. Um, uh, Wizard just pulled something completely out of his ass, and Syzygy is figured out how to go from one place to the other and basically the status quo just changed and from everything that we've ex- we've thought was going to be established for the final battle everything just switched and justice league number 31 you're the villain is fucking phenomenal uh we're building to an end-all be-all where the anti-monitor is probably going to be the one that brings it home and if you're anyway into anything super cosmic with dc you're, that probably just gave you like heart in your ass that we're gonna get a solid antimonitor. Like the last time I really enjoyed antimonitor, they really, really showed it that big was, uh, in my opinion, that had any sort of effect was uh, end of blackest night and and uh, brightest day that I personally enjoyed. And then my last but not least, spawn number three hundred. This was epic. Mm. This thing was huge. Multiple great variant covers. Obviously, they're going to do that. Todd's been p- pushing this for quite a long time. I need to pull this up because there was multiple, multiple artists on this one. Let me actually... We're talking about... Todd McFarlane, writer, inker, Greg Capolo, pencils, chapter one. Last time he did it was like fucking 15 years ago. It was amazing him doing this. J. Scott Campbell did uh, pencil for chapter three. Jason Sean Alexander did uh, chapter four. Jerome Opinia was did chapter five. McFarlane did chapter two. Scott Snyder wrote chapter two, and Tom uh, Orzachowski did the lettering. It starts out, and I get greeted by an old friend that I haven't seen in years. Is the the spawn clock, the mm. the the power meter at zero zero four seven, and we have some rednecks at a. At just a family reunion. There's these two kids. They they get ostracized. They go get married real quick, come back, and someone has butchered most of the family. And it turns oh. out it's a it's a little girl. Like this first six I don't want to say eight pages is is a bloodbath from a little girl that isn't even demonically possessed. They don't even hint at it. It reminds me of what one spawn really kicked up and became more and more relevant in like the twenty five thirty issues, or the the twenties or the thirties of their the original issues, of him just experiencing people, him exposing himself for what he really looks like and showing that the costume is just an imagination of its of himself, and experiencing a knockdown drag out with a new bad guy that may or not be a, a higher evolved version of the clown. But they haven't mentioned what they've done with Malboja since uh, he was possessing the freak. So there's that's another thing. He's got that battle. And then the clock goes down to 0014. And mm-hmm. we, we fast forward 
the the new baddie that may not be the clown or someone higher than Mamon or Violator or Malboja is taking the taking the spawn costume off of Simmons and he, he comes out of the ashes like V from Vendetta and uses the ashes to create a new costume on himself and he starts establishing the same tropes like the, the barbed wire around his, his arms, his biceps he starts, he binds barbed wire uh, he his belt, he finds a skull and fashions it and he the, the spikes in his gauntlets in his arms he takes giant railroad spikes uh, out of the ground and shoves them into his flesh and builds himself uh, like a naked costume as Spawn. And then it goes down to 0001. And we see um, Eddie, who is now the Redeemer. Now, Spawn fans, Eddie was one of... He was in the... God, I want to say it was like the 20s or the 30s of the Spawn comic. Spawn gets dropped on his head after the Angela debacle in the South and this little boy finds him and takes him, puts him in his wagon and takes him to his little tool shed. His mom, and dad's his dad's tool shed and his brother, Eddie uh, shows his brother, Eddie, you know, I found an angel and or not even like a, a monster or whatever they want to call it. And they, they kind of revive spawn for, but give him a place to like chill out while he's reviving from this. And it turns out that Eddie and the little boy's uh, dad is a police officer, an abusive son of a bitch. And, Spawn intervenes and tattoos I beat my kids all over the guy's body and tells him, this, when you calm down and sober up and don't ki- kill, beat your kids anymore, th- these tattoos will go away. Uh, wrong. Uh, the kids come from school. He's covered in tattoos. And Eddie has to finish his dad off with his own gun. And Eddie is now the redeemer, pretty much the anti-Spawn. And Spawn has to convince him that, Eddie, you're in there. And he decides to be Eddie again, like to, to find his humanity and they create a new character and, and the warrior who is heaven's redeemer is transformed into an agent of life and death. The first being to claim the mantle of the reaper in ages. And he's got a big like battle axe scythe and he's got like Tron like uh, helmets and spawn esque type uh, design on the chest and the spikes and we've got a new character there uh, the guy that's been helping spawn he realizes he's imprisoned and all of the main bad guys decide to attack each other and all the main good guys and what stops them is Daniel Alonzo who took over as spawn after 185 or 184 when uh, Spawn, Al Simmons, blew his brains out or blew his head off in the dead zone in the alleys and the, the costume found Yolonzo. Lonzo was, uh, if you, for Spawn fanatics, uh, his face is the same face that when in issue number one, when Spawn decided to try to turn, use his powers to give himself human flesh, he couldn't turn himself back into his own self. He was a white guy. And they never really fully developed that or what happened to Daniel Alonzo when Simmons came back and got the symbiote back. He's been like in a in like a hospice care. And now he's back. His eyes are green and he's got a leather jacket with spawn type costume leather design. And uh, Jessica Priest, who they took over, who they created because uh, Liefeld wasn't playing ball with the chapel character who he created. That was the one that actually in the original pages had killed spawn and was his best, his best friend as an assassin, not talking about Terry Fitzgerald, who was his best friend in real life. 
They created <laughs> they 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 created Jessica Priest and they wrote her into the movie, and then got rid of Chapel as she was being the one that really killed Spawn and Nick's this this investigator girl uh, like almost like a, a cult a cult detective had been helping Spawn and Priest shows to help her out and she's been murdered and she finds all of her secret occultist um, hardware and books and does a spell over the body and rather than resurrect the body she becomes infected with all of Al Simmons memories and <laughs> you're gonna laugh because you're gonna say this is so fucking gay <laughs> she's reborn as something new something to help Al Simmons and more importantly the world in its fight for all humans to retain their own humanity our souls belong to each of us no one not heaven not hell gets to take that against our will so to protect that choice Jessica Priest is now and forever. She spawned. <laughs> and she's got, uh. she's got a giant gun bigger than almost her entire body like cable, giant bandolier. She's red and she's got a flaming necroplasm esque motorcycle behind her. Necroplasm. <laughs> yep. And she's got a motorcycle, and if they make that into an action figure, I will be first in line. No matter how stupid it looks, and then we get a little taste of some guy we've never seen before walk up a Himalaya Doctor Strange esque uh, mountain trek to a small Jeez. church into the mouth of a demon like cave, demon sculpted mouth cave, and it just says "Welcome." <laughs> Great. <laughs> You've been hating on me for loving for love and spawn forever. Now. It's extreme. It's so fucking extreme. I loved it, man. I fucking loved it. I was so worried I was gonna be able to buy it on the day it came out that I was gonna go have lunch with my friend, and I was like, "Listen, on your way here, do you mind stopping by the comic store and getting this comic?" And she's like, "Where's the address of what am I buying?" Like, yeah, here's the here's the address. Here's the thing. Uh, I need you to take pictures of every single variant cover and let me choose. And she's like, cool. That's a, she fucking, that's a lot, dude. That's a lot to dude, ask she, of a human. Dude, she fucking delivered. And then I was like, I circled one that I wanted, and then the third picture came in, and it was the, it, like, there was a lot better covers than what I picked. But she found the last photo she sent me was of the Spider-Man number 300, uh, variant cover response slinging chains to the air with the, with 300 everywhere, just like Spidey number 300, which doesn't make any sense because it's almost the exact same thing cover they did for Spawn number 250, which I have that one too because I love Spider-Man that much, but whatever. Uh, I'm happy. I picked the right one. There you go. Oh, Spawn. Uh, absolute, for Spawn people. We talked about Absolute Carnage uh, 2 last week. Or did we? Mm, I think we... Um, I can't recall. Nah. We were talking about some Carnage-themed stuff because I liked uh, Venom last week. That's what I remember. Uh, the other thing is that Marvel is doing uh, Ruby, uh, one of the best animes ever right now. Um, Flash is still carrying really good with Captain Cold. Batman number Superman, I had some... Uh, I had some serious qualms about it because they're bringing back in the Batman that laughs and the repercussions for that. Uh, Scream, part of the uh, Max uh, Absolute Carnage. Great artwork. I don't know what they're doing with it. It just reads too fast. And goddamn, that's all I got. What do you got left, man? I don't know. That's it, man. I mean, like, 
It is the 53rd anniversary of the first episode of Star Trek. So Star Trek is 53 years old at this point. Uh, of course, for those of you who aren't enormous Star Trek fans, I would say, let's see. I mean, the first series did not star Shatner, did not star most of the character, most of the actors. Uh, but Leonard Nimoy was there. Spock was in the first episode. Um he was still a science officer. Uh, the first captain was Captain Christopher Pike, and he had his doctor. Uh, doctor, what was it? Philip. Uh, I can't think of his last name. Suddenly, Doctor Philip Boyce, and uh, um, number one. Number one was a character on that series. She didn't have a name. The, Rebecca Romaine reprised that character in the most recent uh, Star Trek Discovery episodes to involve her. Uh, Majel Barrett, that's who was playing her. And um, it was a pilot, and it went, it did well, but they also said, there's things we want to change. We don't want this woman first officer character, and also that guy looks like the devil. So let's change that. So, that, so Roddenberry was like, uh, all right, let's see what we can do. He got to re-film a pilot episode, and that was unheard of in those days. Okay. And he changed slight things, slight things about the makeup of Spock. It made his eyebrows less pointy. They thought that he was going to offend Christian America. And then they get and then he gave him a less uh, molten appearance and gave him more of like a bluish greenish makeup. Uh, which they ended up saying, yeah, it's because his blood is, you know, not copper-based. And, um, or it's copper-based, not iron-based. And, uh, and then they did away with Major Barrett. A lot of, a lot of them didn't like her, actually, but Gene Roddenberry had a big thing for her. He ended up marrying her, and he insinuated her in, again, as Nurse Chapel sometime later. But by the time they were ready to, uh, reshoot it, they couldn't get, uh... They couldn't get back some of the actors, so they recast, and instead of just saying, okay, this is now Christopher Pike with Bill Shatner, they're like, no, let's just say it's uh, Captain Kirk. And so they reshot the episode, but halfway through the, the uh, first season, Gene Roddenberry was like, we need a really inexpensive show, so let's do an episode where Spock talks about the first episode, and... He and they they get we get to watch that episode on like TVs with our characters who have been uh, successful thus far. So that same footage found its way in an episode uh, called The Menagerie Parts One and Two. But um, of course, you could watch that episode in its uncut glory, and that's all awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, the first episode of Star Trek is legendary for those reasons, and also. Starting a series that executives were totally into, and to this day, Star Trek is just one of the biggest franchises out there. Fifty-three years old. Maybe I've, I haven't watched one. I've seen a lot of people. I haven't watched one today. A lot of people I've seen posting about how they're watching Star Trek today. I think it's something. I think it's something to sit down and do. You can't always sit down and watch a Star Wars movie on May the Fourth, but you can maybe sit down and watch an hour of a show. Or less, because of commercials. But that's what I've got. That's all I've got, man. Just uh, check out the new Fozzie record. It was so much fun mm -hmm. hearing it live. Still listening to Tool. Uh, new Chelsea Wolf comes out this week. 
I'm really looking forward to that one um, for music-wise. Wow. Um, a lot of good stuff this week, man. We've got good comments this week. We really appreciate you, MFers, listening to us and subscribing oh, and downloading yeah. us. Uh, email us, Colin and Josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. Uh, that's all I got, man. You going to lease out? Yeah, I got you. Uh, you know, yeah. Thanks for everything, everybody. Um, it was an interesting week. Look forward to talking to you all again very soon. Going to do something with Mach coming up for those of you who are fans of our uh, conversations with Mach O'Man. The continuing um, adventures of the Mach. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think we're going to do another Star Trek this week as well. So uh, we got a busy week ahead of us. Hopefully, before I get super. Super busy with some uh, of my typical day job, as you might call it. Uh, yeah, so uh, this transmission came to you, and you got it. This is dangerous. So, this is dangerous. See you all later. Minefield's over and out. <laughs>